Hello, everybody. Welcome to A Good Football Show. I'm your host, Patrick Darty, here today with Kyle Dvorak and Patrick Crane, where we will be previewing Thursday Night Football and some of Week 13's biggest games, including the Chargers at the Bengals and the Raiders hosting the football team. Which football team will be revealed during the show? We will also be graced with Crane's Stat of the Week as we try to dive into every fantasy-relevant player of the week. But Crane, I, instead of a stat of the week, I sort of hear maybe you have an anecdote of the week. Toledo, I've told you want the floor to begin the show. Well, I just need to let listeners know that they're going to be hearing some stuff like they just heard. There was some flooding here in New York a month or two back, and there's apparently a hole in the basement ceiling, which the landlord decided three o'clock on Wednesday was a great time to start fixing. So I believe it sounds like the saw is out now. The hammer has been in heavy use, and I've heard the power drill get started a little bit. My dog is understandably freaking out because it sounds like someone is trying to <laughs> drill through the floor and kidnap him. He does not like it, so you'll also hear the dog barking. So any kind of like construction noises are just, you know, a construction guy right below my feet. No, it's just it's an intern trying to work in sound effects, and he's just not very good at it yet, um, is actually what that is. And Crane, I got me out. You know, this is why Denny was fired from NBC for having construction oh. noises in the back. Is of that podcast. finalized? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, he's gone, folks. Oh, he's man. gone, except for he was immediately back. He was rehired. Oh, good. Immediately by the lawyers. The legal saga goes on. I will give one of these construction workers like five hundred dollars to do a really loud Wilhelm scream, like you know the iconic, <laughs> like the just the standard boilerplate movie scream, right? It's just like an iconic man shrieky scream. I will, you find me one of those construction workers and give them $500 to do it live on air. Oh yeah. I actually watched a thing on Netflix. So they're talking about how they, this is a scream that originated in like the, some Hollywood movie in the fifties or sixties. And then they, it's, it's really, really old. I know that it's been inserted into like a bunch of movies. Like it was in the original star Wars. Like it's like <laughs> almost like a bit, like a secret undercover bit that like directors are playing like for each other to just like, see if they can insert the Wilhelm scream. Yeah, no, it's it's like in so many movies, you, especially if you've heard it like isolated, you will notice it in like a fifth of all the movies you watch going forward. Yeah, it's in like Indiana Jones and like everything. That's something that people don't realize about movies and like video games that like not every movie or video game has its own like unique sound effects. I was uh, shocked as a child on King Griffey Jr. Baseball and N64 had this like dugout cheering sound when you hit a home run. And like I started hearing it in like other games after that and like that was like my the end of the innocence for my childhood, basically, that the sound effect was being recycled throughout various video games. And I know that is the, the case of the movies. Did you say it's the Wilhelm scream? Is that what you said? Yeah, there are, I think there that's are numerous called. Wilhelm screams, yeah. I think. And because it's been used since the, like, as Pat said, probably the 50s or something, I know it's super old. The guy who did the scream is probably not with us anymore. You were hearing the screams of a <laughs> oh, currently, I, it, is, it is probably true. Just based on how old it is, you're probably <laughs> hearing the screams of a person who no longer exists on this plane of wow. Earth. Maybe another one. That's like when you look up at the stars and, you know, that star that you see, that star could be dead. And you're seeing light very, from a billion years ago. It's like ago. a billion years old that yeah. way. 
That's messed up. That's it's like when you look at your LaVisca teams and you're like, this team was once alive and it no longer, yeah. it no longer. Lives. Well, this is the kind of talk that week 13 will get. I you know. Yeah, so do you guys just want to sit around the fire, have a few beers, you know, maybe some Red Bulls if you don't want to drink tonight and just talk about space. <laughs> yeah. Space, existential dread, just, you know, the normal, we, we're five, six weeks from the end of just the regular season. Yeah, that's about the time. Pat, did I just hear one of the construction workers use a 10 whistle? Oh yeah, yeah. I just got that out. Peter Frampton voice box. I think I heard one of them using. He's using some strange. He's real into Frampton. <laughs> so the Zoomers, they all know who Peter Frampton is. I mean, I'm a millennial, and I barely know who Peter Frampton is. So <laughs> me too. I'm sure the Zooms know all about Peter. I know Frampton. that one song. Show me the way. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, you know what the Zoomers do know is that this week is beginning. You know, actually, I'm gonna before I get into it. A little known NFL fact is that the week after Thanksgiving, the two teams that play on Thanksgiving are the two teams that play on Thursday night, the week after Thanksgiving, we always played on Thanksgiving. So you avoid a team having to play twice on Thursday night football during the season on short rest. That is. So, yeah, I was going to, I was going to say, I actually noticed that. I was like, that's super weird. I, I thought I didn't realize that was a rule. I'm actually kind of. So the Cowboys basically always play the Thursday after Thanksgiving and then they play one of the Hmm. other teams that played on Thanksgiving. That's, that's how they make the math work so that no one has to play twice on Thursday night football on short rest. So, you know, it's a really amazing trivia fact that I shared. And that's where we will begin in New Orleans, where points bet has the Cowboys arriving in town as a four and a half point favorite. The Saints finally appear to be making a change at quarterback, but we will begin with the Cowboys where Dak Prescott has been one of this year's only consistently reliable QB1s, finishing out the, the top, outside the top 12 and just two of 10 starts. Kyle is at all systems go for Prescott against the Saints pass defense that is still good, but maybe not as good as its reputation in 2021. Well, I'm glad to get this show off on an instant tilting moment. The first stat I have, you know, I just have a, a spreadsheet of stats pulled up. Just interesting tidbits for the questions I know you're going to throw to me. Hey, did you know Dak Prescott, eight of 10 QB1 performances? But the thing <laughs> is, he has looked, I mean, he's looked about as good as build, despite the fact that he has never had a consistent rotation of receivers. Michael Gallup out for most of the year so far, and he's obviously back now. Then CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper. It looks like the full trio of receivers is going to be playing. Amari Cooper activated off covid so now with the top options all available to him for the almost the first time this year, essentially, I think it'd be like the second time technically, and they didn't even play like they didn't play the full game together. The One of the two times you had them all, you have to be super excited. He's been nothing but consistent while having inconsistent weaponry. He's easily a top five quarterback rest of season, which isn't super long. And on this week, despite, you know, the Saints defense having a good reputation, they haven't quite lived up to that, as you said. I mean, you're really only like the only piece of this offense that's missing will be Cedric Wilson. I think Noah Brown, like some interesting showdown juice on Thursday, but no, it should look like normal cowboy, like not even normal, like above average Cowboys, frankly, because they finally have the weaponry together. And yeah, those, like, those QB one finishes have come despite the fact that he hasn't had more than two passing touchdowns in five weeks. He had a rushing touchdown. He's been getting home with yards, but you know, it's hard to do. He didn't get home with yards against the chiefs, but yeah, in this year where like no one is consistent, no one is reliable. He's been about as consistent as it gets. And so yeah, and the, the Saints too, I think with the Saints past defense, it's probably still good. You know, just kind of getting overexposed because the offense is doing nothing. And it's like leaving the Saints defense vulnerable. And do you, do you have any Dak Prescott thoughts, Crane? Are we are we gonna move on to Ezekiel Elliott just being bad now? That was my note. Just a Zeke bad question mark. Well, yeah, I, the one note I would have is that they just played the Raiders 
who are a bit of a run funnel and they didn't run, you know, and we saw, I mean, they did run some, but they, they had a 3% pass rate over expected. And the worry with Dallas, you know, after they came out of the gates with that huge pass rate against the Buccaneers, they were run heavy for a long time, 22% pass rate of expected week one, then minus 11, minus four, minus five, minus five. So they went real run heavy. <laughs> and since then they've kind of bounced around. They've been pretty balanced, but avoiding a run funnel, and having a positive password of expectation is nice to see because, you know, the Saints set up with this really strong run defense where, you know, they, they probably should go to the air here. So I'm excited about, you know, the fact that maybe they're not going to be like super, super pass heavy, but maybe we get them up into that, you know, Giants, Dolphins, Packers type of range where they're more than just a lean to the pass. They have like a, a solid preference for the pass going forward. Yeah, by the way, we're talking about the Cowboys being at full strength. They will have no Mike McCarthy as he has the coronavirus on Thursday night, but Mike McCarthy, not the play caller. So yeah, that hopefully will not have a big effect on the Cowboys offense. Yeah, so you talk about the Saints being a really, really tough run defense grain. Ezekiel has been under 10 carries in each of his past two games. He hasn't cleared 20 since week five. He's averaging three and a half yards per carry since week five. You know, there was some talk that maybe he would sit out this week and try to get healthy. That didn't happen. Like, is, is Ezekiel Elliott still an RB1? Is this like purely a reputation thing, purely an offense he plays in thing? Or do we need to give up the ghost on Zeke as an RB1? Yeah, I think it's time to to put him into the RB2 range. Just because like when you deal with really, really inefficient running backs or wide receivers, just any skill player, you're seeing this massive inefficiency. A lot of times you're going to see that bounce back you're going to see positive regression but if it's sustained you know if it's paired with a potential knee injury in this case you know if the guy's getting a little older wasn't particularly efficient the year before you know those are all like pretty big red flags and then the team acknowledging like yeah he's kind of sucked recently huh like maybe we should <laughs> like bench him like that's all that was all aired out publicly and you know Zeke saying no I'm not going to take any time to get healthy but he's been extremely inefficient this year. The one thing he's been solid at in NFL next gen's success per attempt metric, he's 17th running back 17, which is, you know, respectable, but that's the best that you'll find in any of these advanced metrics. He's running back 37, a breakaway percentage running back 54 in elusive rating. I mean, there's only like 60 qualifying running backs, running back 54, running back 48 in yards per route run. You're not getting any explosiveness. You're not getting any tackle breaking. You're not getting anything in the receiving game where he's making big plays. It's just that he can like hit the right hole and generate chunk gains. But the problem for him is that Pollard is running back six in the metric where Zeke's oh, no. best score is running back 17. So Pollard's been great, actually, at hitting the right hole and picking up chunk gains. And he's running back 14 in breakaway percentage, running back 10 in elusive rating, and running back four in yards per out run. Pollard's been like a true star. That'll all come down on a bigger workload, but there's really no question that you know he shouldn't be like it should be kind of an Austin Eckler versus Melvin Gordon type of split, but you know, heavily favored to the Austin Eckler style role at this point. Zeke should have a role, like if you were just, you know, if you were rationally splitting this up. What I think will happen is that Zeke will probably still play fairly head, but it could be into like a 60-40 type of split going forward, favoring Zeke. And he just hasn't been efficient enough to get there without going without getting in the end zone a bunch of time, which which basically makes him a running back, a, a touchdown dependent running back too, I think this week. All right. I don't want to be this guy, right? 
I hate to be this guy. I want my best ball teams would dictate that I'm the Tony Pollard guy as much as anyone. However, in his previous six games, Zeke still has three touchdowns. Zeke still has averaging 4.8 receptions per game for nearly 30 yards. Not explosive at all, but if you're playing in a PPR league, that is almost two touchdowns worth of receiving equity. He is still getting the bulk of the receiving work. He is on one of the best offenses in the league. And Jerry Jones even said earlier this week that he's going to have a serious workload. Like, I, I don't want, I am not in any way condoning saying Zeke is better or as good as Pollard. Pollard, in every measure, is more explosive. I wish we saw 20 Pollard touches per game and Zeke like 10, and they were all third and ones. I don't think we will see that. Jerry Jones is telling us we won't see that. And Zeke still gets a ton of run as a pass catcher out of the backfield. I don't think he is the Zeke of old, but that type of work with the team's vote of confidence, at least the, you know, Jerry Jones vote of confidence. I still think he's an RB1, although do I think there is a very big gap between the top four running backs, the top five, and where he's at? He he could be anywhere between RB10 and RB16 because those players are all so similar, but I still think he's probably, for me, I'll probably have him ranked 10, 11, 12. Jerry Jones needs to work on his phrasing, by the way. I don't know if anyone else saw the quote. Yeah, we're, are we still and we still doing phrasing? Does anyone get this <laughs> reference? I get this reference. Uh, good old Archer. If it's a reference in the past five years, Archer I get it. I gotta be honest, I kind of singer. I kind of zoned out after Crane just mentioned Austin Eckler and Tony Pollard. I started daydreaming about the Austin Eckler role for Tony Pollard. <laughs> yeah, that, it, it'll do that. It'll do that. But I, I guess, do you, Kyle? Are you not buying any kind of role decrease this week for Zeke? Because I, I'm, I still think that he'll be more. It'll be basically close to what he's been thus far. But when he's been as bad as he is, and we know that it's related to this knee injury, so there's no reason to expect him to show like more juice than he's shown the last few weeks, that like every snap is so precious to him because he loses one or two, you know, three more snaps. That might be one of the run ones around the goal line. That might be, you know, one of the four receptions he gets all game. And since he can't pop big plays, it just starts to make it thinner and thinner. Are you not buying that there's risk for that? Or you just think I'm overstating the well, risk? Say it to his face. Come on, say it to Crane. He's face. had his previous games are 15 touches, 15 touches, 17 touches. The lowest <laughs> is a 13 touch game four weeks ago. Like the knee issue has been there for a few weeks and it hasn't scaled his role back to the extent that like you would naturally think you give him eight carries and three catches if it's actually that much of a bother to him. 15, you know, 15, 15, 13, 17. Those are like those are numbers we would say are RB1 numbers, mm-hmm. especially given that the two previous 15s were six catch games. Th- that is what we would say about RB1 numbers. It's just that, no, yeah. I don't think he'll be that efficient, but the team hasn't showed like the fact that he's not efficient stopping him before. I don't see why we're like now it's, you know, it's the Javante Williams thing. Now, after 10 weeks of Javante Williams being clearly better than Melvin Gordon, the team's finally going to come to Jesus and say, let's get the more efficient player, more touches. That's just not how teams have shown to operate. At least, at least Zeke's team is not showing to operate that way. So uh, until the- 20 DK points last week. <laughs> so I, I, I think you have to keep assuming that, you know, they're going to use Zeke like they've used him previously because he's been dealing with knee injury for a few weeks and it hasn't, it hasn't slowed his usage. It has very clearly slowed him. The concerning thing about the lack of big plays from Zeke, by the way, is just the lack of big plays in this offensive environment. When you have these passing game weapons that command the kind of attention that CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper do, and you're still not getting big plays from Zeke, it does start to feel like we're in like the end times for Zeke. But as you guys have said, the Cowboys do not take the same view. Like Quickly on the Cowboys pass catcher check-in, it does look like it's going to be a full deck, except for maybe Cedric Wilson. Amari Cooper was still having COVID symptoms on like Tuesday. 
then they activated him on Wednesday. I don't know what his conditioning, what his steam might be like, but is this pretty – is this CeeDee Lamb back to top 12? Mari Cooper back in like that wide receiver 18 to 24 range and Michael Gallup maybe on the wide receiver 3-4 borderline. Does that sound correct? Yeah, we're all, we're all we're all pleased with that. You get a vote of confidence from everyone here. Good, like you said, good. though, Amari Cooper. Yeah, I thought that was really weird that he was. That still, was bizarre. He was still supposedly, you know, just feeling under the weather, right? But that was as of like Tuesday, I believe. And then they bring. They said he had a cough. <laughs> like that's more than. I mean, that's like a legit symptom. That's I don't know <laughs> that, the whole thing. To me, honestly, that sounds kind of like a COVID symptom. <laughs> Uh, the COVID, yeah, you know, like one famous for having it. no cough associated with COVID. Guys, I think, is something going around? I think something's going around right now. It's actually been going on for... <laughs> I, I do hear tell of a virus that has been circulating in these United heard States about that, of yeah. America for the past 20 years, it seems like. But yeah. yeah, it feels like that. But I, So as you quietly alluded to, though, maybe he does have his snaps just slightly limited coming back. He's going to have a relatively short week of practice. But like projecting like who Noah Brown plays half the team snaps. No, like maybe he picks up a few extra snaps. Honestly, if you were being you know diligent about it, you would just put him in on like the blocking snaps or whatever. So maybe you scale him back ever so slightly when like when the Cowboys are firing, firing on all cylinders, though, they borderline could have two wide receiver ones in a given week. So you putting Amari Cooper in that, what you said, like 16 to 24 range, that I think is the scaled back Amari Cooper, honestly. Yeah, and I, I think the, the only note I would add is that we were very excited about C.D. Lamb following the first game that we saw with Michael Gallup back. And then we got, you know, the game, you know, he misses, uh, Cooper's got COVID. So it didn't, it's like, what, been two games since we got excited about C.D. Lamb's potentially new role with Gallup back. Now with Wilson banged up, you've got really no other option but for C.D. Lamb to be in the slot. And then with all the things that Kyle just said about Cooper, I think very likely to be in two wide receiver sets. So C.D. Lamb, I mean, has a ton of potential this week. You know, his ceiling, I think, is quite high. Obviously, because there's more target competition, he could be, you know, just volatile. He could have a, a bad week because the targets happen to go to Gallup and Cooper. But his ceiling is higher now that he's going to be playing in the slot and be on the outside in two wide receiver sets. The only thing I'll say is that, yeah, if, what if Amari doesn't get to play that many snaps and like he kind of throws a wrench and things like his conditioning isn't back to where it should but be. But then isn't it CD and, and Gallup? Yeah, I, I guess you are right that it would. Yeah. So you put up a nice little bow on that. We talked a lot about the Cowboys when the only player that matters in this game is Taysom Hill, folks. Has he been, I don't know, has he been, like, have the Saints, like, actually said he's starting? Are we still just going on the practice reports that he got the first team reps, et cetera? Because the Saints don't ever announce anything. Trevor Simeon announced it against the Bills. Yeah, there, I... Taysom Hill is starting. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> good point. I mean, Taysom Hill, his four 2020 he... starts, he was the QB5, the QB14, the QB8, and the QB10. And the QB14 game was the Kendall Hinton game. You know, like, where the Saints just, like, had to show up. Like, they didn't even have to, like, run an offense. <laughs> and he still finished as the QB 14. But it's, it's, it's a different setup for the Saints this year, of course. And is this offensive environment just too bleak for Taysom Hill to treat him as, like, a set-and-forget dual-threat QB 1? Or can we kind of go back to that 2020 well with Taysom Hill? Yeah, you were you were never playing Taysom Hill because of the offense environment. You were playing him because he averaged 10 carries per game over 50 rushing yards, and he posted four touchdowns in those four starts. Two, It was two double touchdown games, actually. So that's why you're playing him. You don't care who his receivers are. 
if he throws one to a receiver, you're like, that's not what you're supposed to do on these plays. You just run the football. So anytime he throws, that's probably a minus EV play in terms of if you choose between a Taysom Hill throw and a Taysom Hill run for your fantasy team. Maybe not in real life, although running quarterbacks generally are very efficient at running the football. So I, yeah, I think he is probably maybe not the, the highest upside, but frankly, a guy who runs 10 times for 52 yards on average is actually very high upside. So really like if he posted a top five week, would I be shocked? Not at all. If he posted outside of the top 15, though, that would frankly be more surprising given how high his rushing floor is. So I think he's probably in like, I don't even want to say borderline. I think he's probably more on that eight, nine, 10 range, just, just above the border. I ranked him on the borderline. Yeah. I think he's like kind of a better version of Tyrod Taylor or something. You know, that makes sense. I think he's probably, he's probably a good bit better than Tyrod. I, I think just as a runner, Tyrod's been in the league so long. I'm not sure you can rely on him as much as a runner, but I mean, it's comparable. I get it. He does. So he doesn't have Michael Thomas, which he had Michael Thomas I think for most of those starts last year. We think he's going to have Alvin Kamara. We don't know for sure. He's been getting in limited practices. Mark Ingram has been practicing in full. If Kamara's back, you know, we jamming him crane right back into the top 10, top eight. I don't know. Or are we kind of hedging? Cause we don't know his health could be a lot of Mark Ingram. It could be Taysom Hill in the red zone. What are we doing with Alvin Kamara if he's active for Thursday Night Football? So I think my role in the show is just going to be like fudding all of these formerly elite running backs. Because if you look at if you look at Kamara's <laughs> stats this year, they're pretty they're pretty bad as a rusher. He ranks running back forty three in success per attempt, which is the only thing that Zeke's good at. He ranks running back fifty six in breakaway percentage. Running back fifty six. It's Alvin Kamara. Running back forty one in elusive rating. He is still running back nine Take in news. <laughs> in yards per route run. So he's still an elite receiving back. But the problem, right, is that Taysom Hill is probably going to be checking down less to Alvin Kamara. Now, I do wonder if you get kind of like a Taysom Hill rushing threat plus more like Alvin Kamara out of the slots type stuff when he's back. They do have Ingram. Like you could see, you know, we saw Taysom Hill just pepper Michael Thomas last year with targets. Maybe they get something going with Kamara's like getting more designed targets. I don't know. But that's that's like his path to being what we had had expected him to be this season. You know, I don't, I don't know that he's going to be able to be hyper efficient on the ground. Although I suppose that Taysom Hill potentially opens up some more rushing efficiency because of his dual threat ability. So I guess I would say kind of more in like the RB 11, RB 12 range rather than that RB eight, but probably a low end running back one when he gets back. I support this. I, I am in, in on this, this running back disappointment, whereas I was a little less on the last one. We're using some of those very like somber tones. Would you rank Zeke above above uh, Kamara? I rank Kamara I think ahead so. of Zeke, to be honest. I think who who gets more receptions? Who oh, who gross. gets more receptions? Alvin Kamara getting uh, no looks from Taysom Hill, or Zeke being the far worse running back on a team that is willing to check down to him. He got no looks until like the final game where he got like ten or eleven. Cut, yeah, yeah, that was nice. I think Crane kind of was hinting at it. I think we're gonna see designed looks to Alvin Kamara because. Where else are you going to design the looks to? I mean, they're not going to be like like striking up the band with Deontay Harris, you know. Or like Traquan Smith kind of had been. And Isn't he like, hurt? He is hurt too, I think. Is, that sounds like something. I like Deontay Harris. I do too. But he's a good guy. He's a good yeah, He actually is a guy you should manufacture touches for. But I think Kamara, if he's healthy, is going to be like a major, major, major point of emphasis. Of course, we thought this last year too with Taysom Hill, and it didn't quite work out that way. But this is one that was one Michael Thomas ago. And I, I actually am right. putting my faith in an Alvin Kamara workload this week. I mean, there is something to just be said for the offense might be more functional because 
Trevor Simeon was quarterback 36 in completion percentage over expected. That's last. He was the most inaccurate quarterback in the entire league, a league which includes Zach Wilson, who's the only quarterback less efficient. I was going to say a Trevor league which Simeon also includes only 32 teams, if, I, if I'm correct. And 36 <laughs> is a larger number than 32. There's been some turnover. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's been a little bit of turnover at quarterback this year. But yeah, he's been terrible. Absolutely terrible. So just having an offense that might score points is good for Alvin. That's always Kamara, good. Regardless of kind of, you know, Taysom Hill's liabilities. You want an offense that might score points. We head next to Atlanta where the Falcons are five and six with a negative 103 point differential. Seems almost impossible to do. That might be why points bet has the Bucks arriving in town as 11 point road favorites. Grain, Rob Gronkowski was cooking in week 12, like Chris Godwin and Mike Evans both had quiet games. Antonio Brown seems like he's out again for week 13. This, what is the status of this Bucks pass catching group right now? Is Gronk the number one guy right now? It's 13 catches for 194 yards over the past two weeks. Seems maybe how they're kind of like beating the two high safety looks. Or is it, are we still hoping this just like been a quiet few games for Chris Godwin? He'll start compiling again. Mike Evans will start making big plays again against a really, really bad Falcons defense. Yeah, the the first thing I want to mention is just how bad the the Falcons defense is. Um, <laughs> they've they've played so we all know they're bad, but they've played the easiest passing schedule in the league. This is a schedule that includes the Eagles, Jets, Giants, Dolphins, Panthers, Saints, and Jaguars. So that's seven of their eleven opponents who are bottom eleven. Don't forget Mac Jones who. Everyone knows it's not actually good, folks. Just, just kidding. I think. I, I think Mac Jones is good, Pat. He he actually is good. I just know. I was just just commenting on the seemingly endless de- people are truthing Mac Jones a lot this year, and I was trying to get aboard that train. You, you don't think he should have gone one overall? <laughs> I mean, hey, it's maybe number two. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't think the guy who went one should have gone one at this point. Yeah, but we'll see. Yikes. Anyways, not to cut you off, the Falcons have <laughs> been playing bad quarterbacks yeah they've been playing bad quarterbacks seven of their 11 games have been against bottom 11 passing offenses so this this sets up extremely well for the Buccaneers and I guess the other thing I I sort of would push back on is that you know Antonio Brown has been specifically good him missing for Chris Godwin I think Chris Godwin had seen his yards per target spiking over the past few weeks it really would what had been driving kind of the the Antonio Brown absence for him so I still I think you know, all of these guys are going to get theirs and it's going to bounce around a bit. It's my view on it. And I think, you know, Mike Evans still has the highest upside of these guys just based on their target profile. So, you know, there's a volatility here, but because we don't have Antonio Brown, they all come with high ceilings and I wouldn't get scared off of any, you know, kind of recent target trends because we're all, we're going to see the targets bounce around because that's how Brady does it. I do wonder if Gronk is like really cut into maybe Mike Evans's red zone upside though. I mean, I guess last year they coexisted, but Gronk's role, you know, seems so much bigger this year than it did last year. And then maybe Mike Evans won't get nearly as many dunk opportunities, but I think you've got the right diagnosis of it there, Pat. Mike Evans was seeing that work late in the season as well last year. And that was when Gronk was ramped up early in last season. Gronk was like a straight up blocker. Like they just didn't understand that Gronk was like full on Gronk. It took the OJ Howard injury and a few weeks for Gronk to actually get up to speed within the offense in a way that's fantasy successful. And Mike Evans was still perfectly fine down the stretch until 
a few of the guys got banged up. So I'm not concerned. And I'm so not concerned specifically because the team passes so often and so well. If this was a team like, uh, like you know, Pat talked about the Cowboys earlier, where the Cowboys seemed a little bit more comfortable, sort of, especially early in the season, ebbing and flowing with their opponents. If they're winning, they're really going to, you know, lay it on with Zeke or Pollard or whatever. The Bucs don't care. The Bucs just want to throw 40 times against you. So because of that, unless we get another Leonard Fournette four-score game, you can reasonably say there's plenty of work to go around, especially now that we have one fewer player in the mix with Antonio Brown. Definitely not playing this week. Bruce Arians called him doubtful. You, like Players don't play through that. And I just didn't want to be negative on Gronk. Well, I say, you know, you, you still want to be very confident with Evans and Godwin, but Gronk did run a route on 83% of dropbacks last week, which is awesome because we'd seen him the week before at 56%. And he's not really been in that 80% plus range. And that's that's an elite range once you get up. That's like true tight end one type of range. So with this usage and that type of route rate, he's locked in as a, a high end tight end one for this week. Yeah, I mean, I think he's top three or four. I mean, I think you could make an argument from his tight end two over mm-hmm. Mark Andrews. I put Mark Andrews there, but I put Gronk actually as the tight end three over George Kittle just because I have more faith in Gronk's targets floor than I do George Kittle's and it feels weird. It's making me feel like it's like 2014 season, but I do have, I have Gronk in the top three this week. That's because one guy we don't have in the top three is Kyle Pitts. He's been under 30 yards in each of his past two games. I guess Dave Richard from CBS pointed out last night on Twitter that in the entire month of November, Kyle Pitts drew one red zone target, one red zone target for a tight end. You took at number four overall, who's an absolute freak. He's like six foot, 40 uh, maybe target the guy in the red zone the bucks do allow the seventh most tight end fantasy points can we count on a slump busting performance for kyle pitts or is this offense just too too bad to consider kyle pitts anything other than like a, a true boom bust tight end one yeah to me he unfortunately probably does fall more in that boom bust tight end one category despite his volume has just been i mean so good he is third in the NFL, I believe, or among tight ends, at least in air yards, he is top 10 in targets as well. It's, it's simply that the like defenses, I watched the game against Jacksonville. Jacksonville's not that good of a defense and they were able to completely shut him down because he's the only player outside of Cordero Patterson, who's typically coming out of the backfield that you even care about. He was just blanketed the entire time. Even like Matt Ryan tried to force a ball to him in a safety or a corner. He looked like he was in like a shallow zone, just came up and picked it off easy because you know, like once you see Kyle Pitts, the ball is going to attempt to find its way to him. Defenses know that to a T though. So Boom bust, yes, but the volume is what gives him such good boom potential. And in a potential like really high scoring environment, as you said, versus a team that gives us up to tight ends, really just to passing games, like you're not you're not benching him. Who would you have picked up? Like maybe you picked up Dawson Knox or Dalton Schultz early and James O'Shaughnessy. No, you no, no, let's not go to Foster James. Moreau. No, no. I do like Foster Moreau. Yeah. <laughs> I do I, I like both of those options, but I think the only one you could probably argue is like if you picked up Dawson Knox. I think that's like given the percentage of routes he's running, that's like the one I could say, if you picked him up early in season, maybe roll with that. But to me, Pitts is still top five or six. He's just not tier one where I thought he could be tier one. And he, he's clearly not yet. Yeah. The, the slump is, I mean, over the last two weeks, it's been related to yards per target. He had 5.8 yards per target uh, two weeks ago, 4.8 last week. He ran routes on 86% and 90% of dropbacks over the last two weeks. So you know, it's still he's he's a wide receiver. It's pretty wild, like how much of a wide receiver he is. But he's also a rookie, and we see, you know, like DeAndre Hopkins had a bad rookie season, and then he explodes as a sophomore. And you see, you know, even these guys who just command a ton of targets early on in their careers, like 
it takes a little while to be able to do that is like the only option in your offense. And that's, what's being asked of Kyle Pitts, a guy who, you know, isn't like a true wide receiver. He's like a hybrid tight end wide receiver type. So that the bar is very high for him to be able to, to do what he's being asked to do. But at the same time, it does come with a ton of opportunity. That's just so rare at the tight end position. So I think you just kind of got to live with it. Got to stick through it. You know, you got to play him over those, those tight end dart throws like a Shaughnessy. Pat, what you were saying reminded me of Jerry Judy's rookie season, where he was clearly the top option on his team. Uh, his quarterback play was obviously worse. Matt Ryan's not killing it anymore. He's clearly past his prime just watching him play. It, that's what it reminds me of, is a guy who's able to draw targets is someone we believe in their talent. But when you know, you're know you not having elite quarterback play, you're the only option that your team really has to go to, there will be con like considerable slumps. And you're a rookie joining the NFL as your team's top option. You have the most the most attention and the least experience. So that's exactly yeah. what I thought of or like that situation. So Kyle, it sounds like you're starting Kyle Pitts over Jack Doyle still. I think so. I, I oh think, I think so. Jack Doyle will come out and score two touchdowns for two catches, two yards. And I certainly won't turn into the Joker. Welcome back, Jack. But I think I like, I think I'd play Fryermuth over him. If you don't know, the concussion. I have Fryermuth ranked ahead of Kyle Pitts right now. I must say touchdown Pat. Just, just to put a bow on this game, by the way, we talked about before the show, we all do expect four more touchdowns for Leonard Fournette and 10 catches for Russell Gage. So that puts a, a bow here on Bucks falcons We will be right back. We're headed down the backstretch of the NFL season and the NBC Sports Predictor app, powered by PointsBet, has you covered with Sunday Night 7. We're giving you a shot to win $1 million every Sunday night throughout the rest of the regular season. It is free and easy to play, Predict what will happen between the Broncos and Chiefs this Sunday for a chance to win. Plus, right now, you have a chance to win an extra $25,000 by making your picks for the People's Choice Awards, which air on NBC&E on Tuesday, December 7th. So download today from your app store or visit NBCSports.com slash predictor. You know, one of the one of the, the game, one of the things you can bet on in the bet, not bet, choose on in the predictor app, guys, for the People's Choice Award is the most bingeable tv show and uh so i mean you guys you guys watch tv right you guys heard of tv you guys watch tv ever i have yeah. i've heard of tv i've watched tv before some of the shows up this year cobra kai sex slash life that's a show that exists loki ted lasso mayor <laughs> mayor of east town outer banks squid game the white lotus I, I watched The White Lotus. I haven't watched Squid Game. You, you guys, so you guys watch any of these shows? Is The Wire on there? People still watch The Wire? Is that that? No, they <laughs> do not. But uh, I believe this is a show from. But when this did The year, Wire finish? <laughs> yeah. Wire. Uh, what year? <laughs> I never this year. Season twenty of The I've Wire. I've never actually seen The Wire. Ten years ago, more. <laughs> where Where are you guys finding time to watch television? Pat, I've read your Friday walkthrough. You don't don't tell me you have time. I've heard you talk about you not having time. Squid Game was very good. I watched among those shows you named. Squid Game is the one I've watched. Because we are here doing the show to cover you, the listeners, to watch the shows. So you, at, at me on Twitter, at Kyle Tweets here, tell me which ones you think will win. Because I don't have time to watch them. I'm doing this show. By the way, I say NBC, we should take credit for Ted Lasso, by the way. Because that started as an NBC commercial. Commercial for the pr Premier League was Jason Sudeikis playing Ted Lasso. So I'm going to... Well, Sudeikis, Saturday Night Live. One for Saturday Night Live, you wouldn't have Ted Lasso. So I'm so going to claim... NBC. Ted Lasso for NBC. It's not an Apple show. That's an NBC <laughs> show. And we're very happy Ted Lasso's out there. No, but yeah, this is, you can. It's a good show. That's a good and show. And you can do a lot, a lot of cool stuff on the Predictor app. Yeah, a lot. So yeah, the, the People's Choice Awards next Tuesday, NBC and E. And Kyle is going to be in that. Kyle, he was allowed to play, I should say, 
Yeah, no, 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 no. I'm not going to be. I'm not playing. I swear. I swear. Pat, Pat's <laughs> lying. I legally am not playing. I also wouldn't be any good at that one because I said I don't actually watch a lot of. Kyle wins every GPP he enters. But yeah, I, I would if I could if I was voting for the people, I'd be voting for the White Lotus. Mike White himself, when he's not quarterback in the New York Jets, is the showrunner for what was probably the funniest, most biting show on television this year. What is that? I don't ever heard of it. The Bengals host the Chargers as three-point favorites. Even as the Chargers offense has foundered, Justin Herbert checks in as the QB one by both average and total points over the past five weeks, thanks to mega efforts against the Eagles and Steelers. Kyle, which Herbert do we think is actually going to show up against a Bengals team that has gone full hard run game establishment these past two weeks? Yeah, we talked about Dak being super consistent. Herbert is the exact opposite of that. He has six QB1 performances on the air, top two in four of them. And then, you know, the rest were two, you know, not that exciting QB1 games and then a bunch non-QB1. He goes really hard or not at all. I mean, it's hard to really say, right? But I do think... If the team can start off well, we will see the Bengals who have established the run recently, but also like when you're playing Ben, like decrepit Ben Roethlisberger, not that hard to establish the run, in fact. So I think if this game sort of gets going early, it will continue going. And if that doesn't happen, yeah, it's probably not the best game for Herbert. But Herbert now, three of his previous four games have been 300-yard outings. He looks like they're at least getting the offense kind of out of that mid-season funk they were in. And the upside is so high because I think this game has probably two of the 10 or so best quarterbacks. Herbert probably one of the top five or six quarterbacks with tons of talent on both sides. I think it is a traditional boom-bust spot because, as I said, I, I think if it gets slow early, it will just continue to stay slow. And the Chargers do kind of give it up on the ground, so maybe that's another reason it could potentially go under. Could be a lot of Joe Mixon. But I, I tend to look at games that have a ton of talent, have elite quarterback play with good weapons, and say you want to start those quarterbacks. So a risky Justin Herbert, sure, but you, you can't you can't not play Justin Herbert in this kind of spot. Yeah, you hit on the main risk there. I mean, Joe Mixon has 62 touches in two games since the Bengals buy. Like, just totally insane. And all year, the Chargers have been one of the top run funnel defenses in all of football, like, probably still leading the league in rushing yards allowed per game. Like, a run defense, like, where you don't just try to, like, you know, like lean towards the run. You try to like orient your entire tack around the run if you if you have the personnel to do it against the Chargers. And that is what the Bengals have been wanting to do lately. But the games where Justin Herbert has really struggled, he's been struggling against like the sophisticated defensive teams, like the sophisticated defensive minds in the NFL. The Bengals defense has been fine, but like this is this is not the Patriots. This is not the Ravens. You know, the Ravens have the personnel deficiencies this year, but they still are like a very sophisticated defense. I don't, it's not concerning from a matchup perspective, like I said, the offensive environment, unless the Bengals can just fully establish, it's hard to see how that's going to truly happen. You know, the total's almost 51. It just feels like a good spot. It's on the road, but I think we're going to get good Justin Herbert this week. And I was shocked when I saw he was the QB one over the past five weeks, by the way, like absolutely shocked because that does not align with the eye test, but he has had some just truly monster days keeping his season up in that upper echelon. Yeah, this was, I guess this is the stat of the week. So he's at four top 10 QB performances in EPA per play, Justin Herbert. He's had four as a quarterback 20 plus. So he really has been boom bust. He's only had three weeks in between. So, you know, he's either been awesome. He's either been terrible. What you have this week, you know, Kyle mentioned that they could go run heavy here. The Bengals, they've wanted to do that. This certainly sets them up to do that. But the Bengals defense is pretty overrated. 
they I mentioned this in the walkthrough going into last week. And sometimes it's like I find stuff and then I'm just like, I should just save this. And I should this is one of those things where I should have just not written about it and waited until this week because sure enough, the Steelers were terrible against the Bengals, but only further add to an extremely easy passing game schedule. They have the third easiest passing game schedule against them in the league, the Bengals do. So if the Chargers can bring that ceiling performance that we have seen from Herbert, they can push them. And then on the other side, the cool thing about the Chargers from you know this game shooting out perspective is that they do push teams to run to them because their, their rushing defense is quite bad, but their passing defense is also bad. So if they're if you're in a shootout, it's not like they're going to shut you down and force you to keep running. Like once you're incentivized to pass, you're actually probably going to be pretty successful doing it. So this game, I think it could fail. It's very easy to see how it fails, but it's also easy to see how it's a really fun, very passive environment. Crane, is there anything or Kyle, anything in the underlying Mike Williams data that Anything good coming, or is this the the new normal? The new normal being the old normal for Mike Williams, where he's in like five to seven targets per game. You hope he pops a big play, but they're not even getting opportunities to pop big plays. And Joe Lombardi's offensive attack basically has anything changed for Mike Williams, or is this is this just who he is now? I kind of think it looks just like who he is. I mean, he still isn't playing like 100 percent of the snaps. He saw a sub 20 percent target share last week. He is a player who I think at his core has always been boom bust that looked like it was disappearing early in the year, but his underlying usage now suggests it's the exact same thing where Keenan Allen is the wide receiver one very clearly. Austin Eckler borderline sees just as many targets as him and Mike Williams targets are simply higher variance. So if a few of them don't connect, you're probably drawing dead at that point. So he, I still think he's a perfectly playable player because if you're going to see even anywhere close to like a 20% target share in a potentially high scoring environment like this, you have incredible upside, but that comes with the exact same risk we've seen in the past few weeks. The one thing I would say is, is that, you know, his ADOT has been lower the last few weeks and I can't tell if that's good or bad because he's not getting that many targets. So it's like, is he just, is he supposed to be getting deep threat usage, but isn't getting targeted deep. And so we're only seeing, you know, his, his average depth of target is lower because He's not getting enough targets, but his ADOT was 1.6 back in week 10, which is really weirdly low. 7.2 though in week 11, 10.4 in week 12. That's actually kind of more in line with what we were excited about earlier in the season. Like, oh, he's not just a steep threat. He's operating like a true wide receiver one. So if he was just having like this type of usage plus more targets, I think we'd be very excited about Mike Williams, but obviously the, the targets aren't really there. His yards per target have been pretty bad, 4.9 last week. So overall, I, I don't think – like I, I still feel like the 1A, 1B role between him and Keenan Allen is where things have settled, and I wouldn't get like like additionally shaky on him beyond that. Mike Williams had a 1.6 ADOT game, huh? That seems – I was going to say the back of his jersey said Chanel yeah, in that game too, which I, I don't know if that's a misprint. to do, yeah, for Mike Williams. On the other side of the ball, T. Higgins – the long foretold T. Higgins breakout finally came. Six catches for 114 yards and a touchdown against the Steelers. A lot of air yards. You know, targets was still in line with what he had been seeing before that. So it's not like he got a huge uptick in work. But this breakout came as Jamar Chase kind of remained mired. In a, Jamar Chase now is just the wide receiver 32 by average half PPR points over the past five weeks. That includes the Bengals' buy, so it's only four games, but it's still average. He's the wide receiver, 32. 
are we seeing just Jamar Chase and T Higgins? Was it inevitable maybe that they would kind of come back towards each other? Or can we still have faith that Jamar Chase is like the, the true alpha and that this has just been some statistical noise over the past few weeks? Yeah, Chase's volume numbers still look pretty good since T. Higgins' return in week five from, I believe it's a shoulder injury that kept him out like two weeks. I mean, he leads the team in target share at 25%. He leads the team in air yard share just below 40%. T. Higgins, on the other hand, 23% target share, 35% air yard share. They, they kind of look like a, a very traditional 1A, 1B, but they funnel so much their team now to just two players. I mean, they're funneling, you know, nearly 80% of their air yards to two individual players and just under half their targets to two individual players. I think the thing is more that Tyler Boyd continues to get pushed to the fringes because there are two better options, more efficient options to throw to. Jamar Chase being first among them, T. Higgins second. But second is not that bad, especially in a game like this where we think it should be a high-scoring game. Yeah, we've, we'd seen Jamar Chase just had a yards per target through the roof and still does have a very high yards per target, one that's probably going to regress further. But it probably won't be like this drastic going forward. And T. Higgins had been quite inefficient on his targets, and we're seeing some positive regression for him. Last week, he had a 16.3 yards per target. So, you know, that's wildly efficient. But, you know, you mentioned that Higgins didn't see a huge uptick in work. That's true from raw targets, but it's actually he saw quite an uptick in work in terms of the percentage of the offense. He had 30% of targets last week and 72% of the air yards. Burrow wasn't throwing downfield much last week. To that point, Jamar Chase had a 2.3 ADOT. And we know that they want to get Chase going downfield. I mean, that's not a change in role. That's a, The Bengals weren't throwing all that much, and they weren't being highly successful going downfield. I think when Burrow gets going, you want to, you want to have Chase. That's how this offense really explodes. It explodes through Chase's long, long reception ability and his connection with Joe Burrow. So I still think Chase very clearly the number one guy here. It's just that he's never going to be able to just explode every single week, be incredibly efficient every single week. But he's still extremely efficient this year. His yards per out run is awesome and quite a bit better than T. Higgins. Yeah, last week could have been nuts too. If if Pittsburgh did any amount of damage, I mean, Burrow, I think, threw for something like less than 50 yards in the yeah. second half. As someone who played a lot of Joe Burrow, a lot of Joe Burrow sacks, uh, we were just grateful, honestly, for T. Higgins to get like seven yards in the second half and get over that hundo bonus. But you were thinking like, let me go cash some checks. Like I, I am about to about to make some bank. And then Pittsburgh just doesn't hold up their end of the bargain. And the game is truly awful. I mean, I think it was sub 50 yards for Burrow in the second half. And I think he even got to sit out the final few minutes of the game. So I think in a game where it like, you don't, it doesn't have to be a shootout. It will be more competitive than what we saw last week. You are both, you are extremely excited for Chase and still very comfortable starting Higgins. The surging Dolphins will be hosting the likely Daniel Jones less. That's a mouthful. Giants is roughly four to five point home favorites via points bet. I don't think we have a final line on that game yet because we don't really know what's going on with Daniel Jones. But on the other side of the ball, Tua Tagovailoa has helped stabilize the Dolphins' offense since his Week 10 return. Crane, is Tua getting into streamer season, or is there just not enough upside there? It's all RPO floor, and like we're kind of already seeing Tua operate like his outer limits. Is, is that a correct take, or is that a wrong take? That's how that's how I lean. Yeah, I mean we've seen him in these really juicy matchups, you know, against the Jets. Like, doesn't get any easier than that. And I think this Giants defense is maybe one. You know, it's easy to say after they just absolutely shut down Jalen Hurts, but I think you know a bit underrated based on their early season schedule. They entered the Giants defense entered Week 12 ranked 20th in EPA EPA allowed per dropback. Then they dominated Jalen Hurts so badly that you know now they're up to ninth. 
There's a huge increase wow. in. Didn't know that would be possible at this stage of the season to jump 11 spots. That's what happens when you pick off Jalen Hurts. Yeah, that sounds like a jump that's made in week yeah. three when your sample size before was two games. Oh, You're picking him God. off in the end zone multiple times. I mean, it was it was yeah, it was pretty bad. So if I looked at PFF's grades, they still think that the Giants stink. They rank 31st in pass rush grade, 19th in coverage grade. So not impressed, but. Their schedule really has been difficult. Six of their 11 games have come against top 10 offenses in EPA per drop back. The Rams, the Chiefs, the Raiders, Falcons, which surprised me they're in there, but they are. The Buccaneers and the Cowboys. So I don't think this is actually that great of a matchup for Tua. It's not like a terrible matchup for Tua, but this does not fit in with the really easy matchups that he's had at points this season. So I think he's a bit risky. Like I would would rather do like Taysom Hill or, or something like that. For sure. And so Kyle, though, his weapons will be different. Devontae Parker is finally going to be back for the first time since week eight, only the second time since week four. Jalen Waddell had frankly kind of been trending towards wide receiver one status where since week six, he's been leading the NFL in receptions. He's trailed only Cooper Cup in receiving yards. And I I got that stat from, I forgot who I cribbed that stat from. I think it was the ESPN Dolphins reporter whose name eludes me. But Jalen Waddle's really been coming. It hasn't been like the sexiest usage. Like talk about low A dot, but he has been like paying the bills in fantasy. Does his momentum maybe kind of get halted by the return of Devontae Parker? I don't think so. I think as you said, he was trending towards being the team's wide receiver one anyways, and he fits Tua's skill set better where he's a player you want to like, I think Tua at his best is like the ultimate distributor. I don't know if we're ever going to see him as the ultimate distributor, but when he plays well, I think that's how he plays. He just hits in rhythm and that fits with Jalen Waddle as opposed to trying to throw these jump balls outside of Devontae Parker and Parker returned to practice. But that only opens up his 21 day window. So there's I believe not- they've said he's going to play though, which is why I talked about him as if he was playing. I think there was a coach from quote, from Brian Flores that he will play and Will Fuller will not play. So forgive me if I'm wrong, but I believe Devontae, believe Devontae Parker is locked into the lineup this week. Will Fuller doesn't exist. He's just a figment of our imagination. Apparently his finger, someone said that they heard weeks ago that the word was almost shattered. Why didn't we hear about this sooner? That's disgusting. <laughs> That's just very disgusting and very sad. Uh, get well soon, Will. Yikes. It well, stop playing football. Yeah, maybe just stop playing football. This doesn't really, you're, you've given it your all. Well, he's he agrees with you if you add the caveat for the dolphins, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. So, I mean, Kyle, I was saying Jalen Waddle was almost trending towards a wide receiver one in fantasy, like kind of the classic, like, you don't have to like it, like that's like the kind of how the usage had been. And now, I just, I just don't know about the Devontae Parker variable being introduced into that situation. Yeah, maybe that keeps him out of wide receiver one in fantasy territory, but I think he's still very clearly going to be his team, his team's wide receiver one. And at that point, with at least how well he's playing, how many targets he's been able to garner, even when Parker's been on the field, he still, as you were pointing out, is trending towards seeing a ton of targets as his team's top option. That at a minimum puts him in the wide receiver two range. And I think he's just so explosive that that in any given week gives him at least wide receiver one upside. So you're not start. You're not benching him, and I, I frankly find it difficult in his first game back potentially to start Devontae Parker, even though people are seeing decent usage early in the season. I still think in his first game back, you can't project him for more targets than even when he's fully healthy. You can't project him for more targets than Waddle, Gasecki, essentially a glorified wide receiver. Also, really can't see him getting more targets than Gasecki in the first game back. So I'm not starting Parker, and I'm certainly starting Waddle. I'm a little more optimistic. On, I'm a little more optimistic on Parker than that, but I, on Waddle, I think sometimes with these outside receivers i think it can be helpful for underneath explosive guy like waddle where you know 
he's he's not going to be like if, if things open up downfield a little bit, that actually probably helps. And I, I tend to agree that he's still the number one guy and a more functional deep passing offense against a much better team now moving from the Jets to the Giants. Probably a good thing. Yeah, hopefully it just opens up cleaner looks for Jalen Waddle. But yeah, I, I kind of agree with Kyle too, just from a fantasy or real life perspective, kind of waiting and seeing on Devontae Barr, whose legs just might be gone. The guy suffered so many injuries. He could be getting into like Hakeem Nick's territory where he's just suffered like too many lower mm-hmm. body injuries. Um, so we'll see what's going on with Devontae Parker. I I don't know if when we'll see what's going on with the New York Giants where everyone is hurt, including the quarterback. Sounds like Mike Glennon. My only note, I do this every week, but like my only note was the Giants lull. Like I don't really know what to think. And I, I mean, I guess we can start with Saquon Barkley because we know he's going to play. We have no idea which receivers are going to play. Saquon, Saquon only has 19 carries for 65 yards in two games since returning. The Dolphins are bottom six and running back fantasy points allowed. Is there any light at the end of the Saquon Barkley tunnel, Karain? 87% of the snaps last week. So that's really good. And we saw him come up from, I believe it was 67%. The week prior, you know, working back from the ankle injury, big increase now in elite snap rate. So now this is twice that they've done this where they work him back in slowly off the injury and then they just give him everything. I mean, you know, it's it's like tough to trust him is is like a low end RB1. So you, it's easier to say, oh, he's a high end RB2 now. But that's the snap rate of an RB1. And I saw I, I covered the game for us last week. He had a run where he looked like true vintage Saquon. I think it was a 32 yarder. He made a couple guys miss like in the hole. He got, he had burst up the sideline. It was like true Saquon. I don't think that we should be burying this guy as like a has been. The the situation stinks, but he's still Saquon. And if he's going to get 87, 90% of snaps, something like that, I mean, sign me up. There's going to be some explosion days, spiked weeks. Yeah, with that at some point. I guess he's just so boomer bust. You know, even going back, the stats were yeah. going around on Twitter, I think via Scott Barrett, back to like his college days where like so much of his yardage comes in like such a tiny percentage of his carries. Like even more, that's the case for a lot of running backs, but even more than like your typical boomer bust running back. But I mean, that's Jonathan I Taylor. Know, like, know. you know, you live by the sword, you die by the sword type of stuff. You know, like we want, we want guys who can break this. <laughs> yeah. This is a this is a classic. You know, I'd love if he only did the long runs. Has yeah. Saquon tried instead of doing 32, 5, 30? It's just that he's 30, even, 30, 30, even by the standards back to back to back of play. extreme he, big play running backs, he has been extreme. But I agree with Pat. Like, yeah, yeah. That kind of yeah. you just but, like that kind of talent on that kind of usage, like that's like a powder keg waiting to blow at some point. Yeah. And, also, from yeah. a fantasy perspective, he at least gets to buoy it with reception yes. value. Like, obviously, I do think his style does lend itself more towards in terms of rushing yardage and how that affects the team's offense. It does inherently, I, you know, as much as we kind of, you know, make fun of it, it does lend itself more towards a bunch of, you know, not so great carries. And then he completely erases that bad taste in your mouth with a 40 yard run. But from a fantasy perspective, he's 11 targets in two games back and he played two thirds of the snaps two weeks ago. So if he's changing the complexion of the offense as a runner because of his boom bust style, that doesn't quite show up in his fantasy box score as long as you're playing in at least half PPR. The receivers, I mean, I just don't think we can even really talk about it. I have no idea who's going to play. Like, just. Kadarius Tony and Sterling Shepard DNP'd on Wednesday. I don't think we see either of them back, which would just mean Kenny Galladay and Darius Slayton. And I, I guess I mean, I Kenny Galladay, Mike Glennon, like you talk about a connection that I want to invest <laughs> in in fantasy, DFS, and redraft. 
I'm streaming Mike Glennon. I'm firing him up in DFS. And then just what, why is Mike Glennon even on this roster? I think we're getting Daniel Jones. I mean, they're, he was practicing. He was limited Wednesday. Yeah. It's not impossible. Yeah. It seems like some gamesmanship going on, I think, maybe from the Giants. Where they're going to create, or he might be healthy enough where he can, like, go take snaps. But, like, the neck, that's one thing even football teams don't really mess around with. I'm actually skeptical it's Daniel Jones, but it is interesting that he was practicing at all. Imagine imagine being a defensive coordinator and be like, man, you know, we, we have to really commit to preparing for Mike Glennon, right? We need a full slate of practices where we really hammer down on what Mike Glennon does well. And then, you know, Daniel Jones, you're like, oh, that messes up with our game plan. As if, like, Mike Glennon is some force to come in and stop. Like, no. I can at least see it. You just run the Glennon game plan against Yeah, I can, Yeah, exactly. I can at least see it with, like, Trevor Simeon versus Taysom Hill because Hill at least has some – is a very different skill set and is I think sort of more upside laden where Trevor Simeon is more standard boilerplate backup. This is like, no, I, I can't believe this. Like, to Pat. Yeah. To your, I just, with a sore neck against the defense, the way the dolphins been playing. I don't know, man. I don't know, Pat, you podcast through sore necks almost every week. So <laughs> <laughs> There is some risk here too, because this is a, a quarterback in Jones, and I assume Glenn. I didn't look up the stats, but he's got to be terrible against the blitz. <laughs> Jones is bad against the blitz, and you know Glennon's Glennon. So the the Dolphins they blitz a ton, a lot. I believe they lead the league in in blitz rate. Yeah, so this could be like one of those games. This could be a really gross game. You know, we just saw the a game kind of dud. Uh, the last Giants game just kind of dudded. So if the Giants defense is better than the you know we we thought because of the schedule, and then the Dolphins defense is set up pretty well against the the quarterbacks here. This game could be no fun at all. Points bet has the Raiders hosting the fully established Washington football team as two and a half point home favorites. Washington arrives in town, having run the ball over 40 times against the Seahawks on Monday night while chewing up 41 and a half minutes of clock. Kyle Antonio Gibson took the rock 36 times on Monday. Will he be an RB one versus a Raiders team surrendering the fourth most? Running back fantasy points. Is, is he back? Is he back on our RB1 life, Kyle? Pat, Pat and I, as Antonio Gibson truthers, have a bunch of two and three win teams that are going to storm into <laughs> just missing the playoffs. I do feel very good. With JD McKissick banged up, we saw a career high in receptions at seven, a career high in carries. We know this team wants to play a run heavy style as they have shown us in previous weeks. And the Raiders, as you pointed out, allow us to do that. I think he was already like, you know, back to being what seems like healthy or at least some approximation of his health this late into the season no player is probably truly healthy but he was already getting that 15 carry one or two catch roll that was enough to be like a low end to mid rb2 if you bump him up to 20 plus carries and just a few more receptions let alone seven he's like a locked in rb1 so yeah i think you sort of bump him up to that you know if if jd mckissick is active you still say he's probably in that like 11 12 13 range if jd mckissick doesn't play this game it is it is wheels up for our two win teams here well you know i don't even need those teams to do well you know they've been they've been dead for a while but all I need is for me to be able to say with a straight face that he was a better pick than CH, because then I can say I won our battle royale, my battle royale against Daigle in the summer. And that's all I really need. <laughs> and it's getting close here. If we get this game without my physic, yeah, he yeah, was yeah. a better pick than CH. Let's go. We're getting close. We're getting, it's becoming a debate, at least. Imagine just watching two ants fight each other <laughs> as you stand many, many times above them, you know, galaxies above them, essentially. And that's what this C.H. Gibson quality is. No one. On the other side of the ball, has Deshaun Jackson been stabilizing Derek Carr maybe a little bit? Question mark. Carr, he finishes the QB7 on Thanksgiving, even though only had one touchdown because he's just raining yardage down on the Cowboys. But Darren Waller probably not playing this week. 
I mean, how does Derek Carr keep getting home week after week? And how sad is it, by the way, that Deshaun Jackson is like such a huge improvement on Brian Edwards? This makes me really sad. Maybe it should. Maybe I should just be happy that the old guy is still playing well. But Deshaun Jackson being clearly better than Brian Edwards has me feeling not great. Deshaun Jackson is three point five four yards per route run. He's he's been uh, he's been crushing, been crushing this year. <laughs> That's got to be like the exact same number. He what was it like two years ago where he was the Eagles. He played like the first game and the last game and went over hundred both or something like that. Like Deshaun Jackson, I am not convinced he plays more than eight snaps in any game. But those eight snaps will always be incredible. Like the dude still has it. He just can't stay healthy. But as we saw last week, it was Derek Carr's high in total air yards in a game dating back to week three, and that's when the team was actually playing. Like I mean, he was like through five or six weeks the leader in air yards and top one quarterbacks and overall passing yards. Like he looked like both a volume and like mid to deep pass. So I think in, in this game, just like the presence of someone who's able to stretch the field, not being Brian Edwards, like that is such a help, even if that doesn't necessarily mean you can safely rely on Deshaun Jackson for wide receiver three or four numbers. He'll be volatile, but just having that presence on the field is so useful. It does look like he'll be without Darren Waller this game, though. 59% route rate last week, though, for Deshaun Jackson. So it's not like he's, you know, a true kind of part-time player. He's not a full-time player either, but, you know, closer to that Antonio Brown, like 65% range. Than, than like the part-time 30, 35% range. So I think I agree that he's going to be boom bust, but he's out there enough to make a significant impact on Carr. And Carr's played well this year, and they've gone pass heavy this year. They're in pass rate of expectation. They're solidly, you know, pass first team. And I think that's helped Carr. We know that the passing is more efficient. If you have a good quarterback, I, and Carr's convinced me at this point that he is actually a good quarterback, then, you know, you should be passing more than average pressure advantage, help out your quarterback. You know, don't don't make him pass at a third and seven every time. Everything in moderation is what Deshaun Jackson is uh, practicing with his routes, apparently. Not too many, not too few, just the right amount. Also with the games he's played in the past, like, eight years. Uh, you know, yeah, true. Like too Good many point. Games he is moderating his games played very severely, too. <laughs> that's, he's done that we talk, So apparently we're not starting Foster Moreau over Kyle Pitts, but are we starting Foster Moreau at all? We've always... He's always been like someone like the analytics community is obsessed with. He's always remained on like the back end of dynasty benches. Can we stream Foster Moreau or is there just is this not enough there? Oh, we can stream Foster Moreau, baby. When you when we talked about it with Kyle Pitts, I was like, no, you're probably playing Kyle Pitts. But like I I briefly, ever so briefly, for a few small fractions of a second, pause Kyle or Kyle Pitts like. Yes, obviously, I think you're starting him over Foster Moreau, but Moreau's one start earlier this year technically has a few starts, but the one start without Darren Waller, obviously, played 100% of the snaps, six for 60 and one touchdown. Is he as talented as Darren Waller? Probably not. Will he earn as many targets playing the same role as Darren Waller? No, but is he playing the same role as Darren Waller? I mean, it looked like it in one game. Like, he's clearly a tight end one, so much so that, like, I thought about playing him over Kyle Pitts. I'm not doing it, but, like, his role's immense. Yeah, he, he ran around on 86% of dropbacks that week targeted on 20% of his routes. His ADOT was at 5.7, which is considerably lower than Waller. I mean, one of the nice things about Waller is he gets targeted like, you know, eight, nine, 10 yards downfield. It's pretty great. But it's kind of like subbing out Waller and putting in like Fryermuth or, or something like that, you know, and or putting in like Hawkinson who gets targeted much, much more shallowly. It's pretty nice. You know, I, I think Foster Moreau is a, a very strong streamer this week. And just quickly to put a bow on this one, Josh Jacobs has this become a much more reliable RB2 in part because since Henry Ruggs was released, Josh Jacobs has drawn at least four targets in all four of those games, caught at least four passes in three of those four games. And that even with some kind of like inconsistent carry totals, that has helped stabilize Josh Jacobs' RB2. So 
Josh Jacobs is back in our life. Any final thoughts on this game? Or are we good to go to the, the, the barn burner closer here? The stunning reveal of the final game. Josh Jacobs is better than Zeke. I have no clue what game this is. <laughs> Josh Jacobs is, is better as a, it's a better real life fantasy option or as a... Definitely better real life. From I, look, hey, no, yeah. don't, you are not goading me into supporting Zeke as a real life player. That will not happen. To be clear, I think Zeke should put up some fantasy numbers. I'm not. I'm not on team Zeke. To be clear, I don't get this. Producer, scrub this from the. No, your team Zeke. It's fine. No, no, no. no, no it's just, every once in a while, Zoomer will try to attach himself to an elderly person to try to prove that you know they don't. They're not ageist. You know, they. I don't mind your guy people. Zeke. We get it. It's fine. Yeah, I don't mind old people. Zeke's fine. Yeah. Well, all right, I'm expensive as Zeke jersey, though. <laughs> the Rams are on a three-game losing streak, but points bet still has them getting 12.5 points at home versus the pathetic Jacksonville Jaguars. Crane, I'll keep it simple. What has been ailing these Rams over the past three weeks, and why does Matthew Stafford just look like he's back at Ford Field? So the, the interesting thing with the Rams, about three weeks ago, I was talking about how Matthew Stafford was incredibly efficient in EPA per play, but he was not all that accurate. And instead of saying, so we should. That's like some like, don't take it seriously. Don't take it literally. Take it seriously type of stuff with Matthew Stafford. That's, that's very interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I, t- I made the exact wrong read on it, which is that, you know, I was like, wow, McVay's really smart. He's maximizing Stafford. You know, he's, he's not all that accurate, but look how efficient this offense is. He did, he did the same thing for golf. He's doing it for Stafford. But instead, it was just a screaming like negative regression <laughs> that I, I should have immediately identified. So I'm sorry, everyone. But the same thing is still kind of going on. Stafford is quarterback 22 still in completion percentage over expected. So he's still not playing all that well in terms of accuracy. But even with this slump, he's quarterback three in EPA per play. That's still like, I think the dynamic that I was talking about where McVay is maximizing Stafford is happening. McVay is a very good coach. It's just, there's only so much you can do that. And the other guy right next to Stafford in this type of dynamic is Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, very similar. And then right next to him as well, Justin Herbert. You know, if you look at Ben Ben Baldwin's uh, graph on rbsdm.com, very kind of helpful in visualizing this stuff. And I think that's, you know, maybe the way we should start to think about Stafford, not the Garoppolo comp so much, but the Herbert one where he's going to be a little bit boom bust, where everything is, is clicking. Stafford can absolutely explode. When things kind of start to go off the rails, they can go really off the rails because his accuracy has been a little bit of an issue this this year. This is not one of the spots where I expect things to go off the rails. The Jaguars are quite bad. So things could really click here. And I think uh, when they do click, like I said, we can see big old spike weeks out of Stafford and his weapons. Part of that Odell Beckham, 5 of 10 for 81 yards and a touchdown last week. I mean, I guess he arrived quote-unquote, as a Ram, even though the game was, like, never competitive. It didn't really feel that compelling. But Kyle, I mean, Odell Beckham, he's the wide receiver what right now? Is he a wide receiver two? Is it still better to take the cop-out route, say he's a wide receiver three? Did we did we see enough from Odell Beckham last week to begin believing in Odell Beckham's uh, fantasy viability as a Ram? Yeah, I think we did. They ran a ton of three wide and they only ran with three receivers. They, I believe they even healthy scratched Ben Scorsese, Ben Scorsese or whatever. He was hurt. He he was scratched. He actually was not healthy, but he was scratched. Yeah, and they ran no fourth receiver and Odo Beckham even ran two more routes or one more route than Cooper Cup. Like they have three receivers, they play three wide and you're putting a player in Odo Beckham on the field who got targeted on roughly 25% of his routes. Like he looked like he always did in Cleveland, except the fact that he converted on some of his volume. He was always able to draw volume in Cleveland. That was never the issue. 
he showed us it wasn't the issue in this game. And the issue was that he wasn't efficient. He didn't have a good connection with his quarterback. And that was finally fixed. So I'll say, yeah, he's probably maybe a little more boom bust than your average wide receiver too. Maybe because of the overall offense, which we know Stafford's dealing with just a slew of injuries. What, like elbow pain or something, chronic back issues, a lot of stuff going on. As Pat pointed out, it's just maybe a player who is not quite as uh, as consistently the best as we saw early in the year. Maybe that comes back to fall on Beckham a little bit, where some games, if he doesn't make the long shot, it doesn't come through. But I don't think that's any reason to bench him. I think you can probably trust him as a wide receiver, too, or at least you should play him as a wide receiver, too. And I got a mea culpa here on Beckham, who I took the under on 65% of routes last week. Ran around on 98% <laughs> dropbacks, guys. He, he was out there every single snap. It's pretty wild. That's the classic. They're trying to make sure people think the move was smart, which I mean, it clearly was smart, but they're just like, come on guys. 90. We always plan to play him a 98% of our snaps. And you know, I don't know. This feels like he's actually doing with a hit pointer right now. So maybe we see that skill back a little bit. It's like scrum, I guess healthy, but I, I don't know if this feels like a, we want to look smart as much as like, Hey, we have this super talented receiver. Like it's, I don't know. It's, it's less of like self-justifying and more logical yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's actually is logical. It's not trying to say that it's not logical. <laughs> and like, if you're a good football coach, I feel like you should be able to find a way to get a talent like Odo Beckham on the field for 98% of the snaps. Yeah, yeah. um, Daryl Henderson has been part of this weird Rams funk where he's been 55 rushing yards or fewer in his past three games. He's been under 20 receiving yards in five straight games he was beginning to look like an RB1, kind of like you know, week five or six. But was that just a total illusion? And I mean, he's an RB2, but is he a compelling RB2? Like, where, just where are we at with Daryl Henderson? Where this seemed like the complete collapse of his ceiling. Yeah, I think, you know, he's a usage based running back, too. You know, is really what he's been. He's, he's had 76% of the snaps this year, but. You know, another guy who's not been efficient, running back 35 in success per attempt, running back 34 in breakaway percentage, running back 35 in elusive rating, running back 54 in yards per route run. So, you know, if this was Cam Akers in this role, I think we'd feel great about it, but he's not really delivering anything. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I feel like maybe we like, oh, apologies to these coaches. Remember, we were like kind of banging down the door, like play Daryl Henderson, like three, two years in 20, 2019, you know, when they're playing Malcolm Brown and stuff. I get it now. <laughs> I know it's super weird because you pointed out he's just like not really doing a ton with his volume. And he was the opposite of that in college. But I mean, maybe maybe McVay seeing him in practice every single day for a whole summer. Maybe he learned something from that that we sitting from, you know, our computer chairs behind some spreadsheets couldn't find. I don't know. There's something going on there, but I can't figure out. It could just be a durability thing. It seemed like they didn't believe in the durability. He came out the guns blazing then picked up a few minor injuries. He's actually stayed on the field, but maybe he's just banged up and maybe he's just not good when he's banged up. That's pure speculation, of course. And I'll tell myself that. Yeah, this, that's how I sleep right. at night. That is how I sleep at night. <laughs> the Jaguars, another, they has got another Jaguars lull. I mean, I don't even, what do you even say? I mean, LaVisca's back, right? Nine targets, five catches, 33 yards. Right, I'm convinced. Let's go. I mean, yeah, let's, 7.18. Yeah, yeah, let's go. Let's, he's back, right? I, I did say in the walkthrough that Laquan Treadwell and Tavon Austin were going to play more snaps than LaVisca Chenault. Only Laquan Treadwell did. So, you know, I don't that's have to lose my mind as I said I was going to. Yeah, that's a, Hang that the banner, banner, boys. That's going up in whatever Altel Field is called now. I think that was like four names ago for the Jaguar Stadium. <laughs> They're hanging a banner for that one. Well, let me just say, by the way, James O'Shaughnessy, we talked about him earlier. He ran He's around. the only Jag that matters now. He literally is. 
because he ran around on 82% of dropbacks last week. And Dan Arnold was at 9%. He wasn't at 0%. You know, that's potentially 85, 90% of routes for James O'Shaughnessy going forward. I mean, we just saw Dan Arnold. Like, Dan Arnold was like the the Panthers just traded him away. They didn't do really much for the Cardinals. Like, not this elite talent, although the Jaguars, like, traded something meaningful for him. So, you know, whatever. But but James O'Shaughnessy, I actually yeah, think is, did. you know, you should probably think of him pretty close to Dan Arnold. Maybe not quite the receiver that Dan Arnold was, but he's going to see a lot of a lot of routes. He's top 20. I mean, Dan Arnold was kind of flirting with being every week top 12, like being a legit tight end one. That was kind of fading before his injury. But I mean, James O'Shaughnessy, that was immediate top 20 usage at a position where very few guys are averaging like even two or three catches per game. James O'Shaughnessy seems like a pretty safe bet to average like in that three to five catch range. And yeah, he is, he is like a legit top 20 tight end. And that's not nothing in the year of our Lord 2021. That's about it. I mean, is that it for the Jaguar? I mean, Marvin Jones, like, who cares? Who's their other receiver? You know, the guy. LaQuan, LaQuan, LaQuan Treadwell. It's crazy. None of I don't it. understand. Although I will say, LaVisca Chenault, 69% of his, his snaps in the slot. And a route on 80% of dropbacks. So, you know, if you want to play Visca for the for the lulls, the, the prompt was lull. Here's something for the lulls. Play Visca. It's not, it's not crazy. It's not crazy. Marvin Jones, you know, he's out there all the time. 98% of routes last week, but. You know, what well, that's no fun. Well, you're not getting any walls out of that. Marvin Jones is classic. Why can this guy just not be a role player on an actually good team instead of the number one? He did have that nice catch. You see the one-hander? Yeah, that's what he does. He could still be a really valuable role player for a team that was actually playing the game of NFL football, unlike whatever the Jaguars are doing. It's very depressing. Are there any of these college jobs? Like, I, I know Brian Kelly just left. Is, can we get Urban interested in something? Well, apparently Notre Dame is one of Urban's dream jobs. But, oh. you know, Notre Dame, you know, it's a little more of a, a buttoned-up scene. And, you know, after the off-the-field stuff with Herb, that might have killed any shot that had it happening. Because uh, Herb oh, is on no. the record is like, that's a dream job for him. And, like, people have been trying to make that speculation happen. But it seems like it's not going to happen. Um, and producer Adam recently said Urban said he's not leaving the NFL. For, I mean, Urban Meyer says so many things. Yeah. You know, Urban's leaving the NFL by force for a janitor position <laughs> at a like, <laughs> local high school within 12 months. He's, you know, Urban Meyer. Yeah, just, Laquan Treadwell led this team in air yards. He was second God. in targets. Oh, my God. God. And on that note, that's all the time we have for today, folks. Dear God. Dear God. No, yeah, great stuff. As always, thank you so much for your insight, Patrick and Kyle. Uh, we'll be back with the second half of our Week 13 preview on Thursday with Matt Straub, John Daigle, Craig, Dennis Carter, and myself. We'll cover the rest of the slate. Um, check out everything on the website. we got Crane's walkthrough coming on Friday, my rankings coming on Thursday, Kyle doing stuff every day for the site. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back later this week.